Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We're so glad that you could join us on the broadcast today. We have been going through questions that some of our listeners have sent in. If you have a question you'd like for us to answer on the air, just email us at info at reformationboise.com. We'd love to hear from you. So today's question comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19. So our listener asks, what do the spirits in prison mean um, that Peter is referring to. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, this section starting in verse 18, um, where if you know anything about the, the book of First Peter, Peter is talking to, to the church saints who are being persecuted um, for their faith. And so he's constantly connecting the suffering of the saints to the suffering of Christ. So this is what Peter says, starting in verse 18, chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. So I can keep on reading, brothers, but that, there's the verse right there. So Jesus suffered once for sins so that he could bring us to God. He was put to death. He was made alive in the spirit. And then he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. So the question is, is, what does the spirits in prison refer to? Yeah, and if you, if I, I am going to read on a little bit because I think it's important. He proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Um, and let me first say that I... I I've been looking at this verse all of my life. I'm 62 years old. I don't think anyone today is. It's on my list of things I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. <laughs> and uh, as you all know, uh, you pro- and you probably have you, you, you. Our listeners probably have their own list. And when we get there, we're going to throw our lists away. Uh, in in adoration uh, of our God, but um, <clears throat> this is this is obscure. Uh, one interpretation that I've heard, uh, which is just as plausible as any, is that, that it's talking about the Spirit of Christ preaching through Noah uh, during the days leading up to the flood uh, when when Noah was prophetically giving God's warning that the, the flood was coming and the Spirit of Christ preaching through him um, because Christ is active, you know, from all eternity and very active in the Old Testament, too. And, and so that's, that's one uh, possible interpretation. Uh, but I also want to say uh, there's another— I want to rule out one interpretation of this, which I don't think is possible at all. When, when we ask what does it mean uh, that 
uh, what does it mean that Christ preached to the spirits in prison? I've heard sometimes uh, Christians say, well, in the time after his crucifixion and before his resurrection, Jesus went into hell and gave and preached to the souls there and gave them an opportunity to escape hell. Uh, that is not only really wild speculation, it, it's a contradiction of many other scriptures and, and which teaches us about hell, that it's a place of eternal punishment from which there is no escape. There is no second chance. And uh, that interpretation is purely fanciful and has no ground in it. As obscure as this text is, I would just caution, don't go there with it. Uh, you have absolutely no ground to stand on. Yeah, the other verse says uh, in Hebrews, it's appointed for man once to die. And then comes the judgment. And then comes the judgment. And so that's, that's pretty problematic. I, th- I would say that interpretation of Jesus after he died and then he went to hell and preached giving them a second chance, that also undermines something that the Bible talks about, how everybody knows about God because the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, which brings up that, that other famous question, well, what about the innocent person you know, who's in some third world country on an island that nobody's ever reached? Well, good news, that innocent person goes straight to heaven. Um, but it begs the question, where is the innocent person at? There is no innocent person. That's the constant theme of the Bible, that all have sinned and right. fallen short of the glory of God. So I think that, that interpretation is very problematic. Yeah. If I could just um, just do a quick overview of the thought I think that Peter is giving here. So he's this whole section is really under suffering for righteousness' sake, and it's it's written to the church <coughs> about continuing on for suffering for doing good if it's God's will. And then it goes into the life of Christ. And in the, the reality is that Jesus Christ suffered according to the will of God. Why? To bring salvation, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Well, if you go back to our last broadcast, what I suggested was that one of the, the distinctions of the work of, of Christ is that he gives the spirit of himself to the church. It's the spirit of Christ that we possess, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed. Well, how does he go and proclaim? He does it by his spirit, which now indwells every child of God. How does that happen? Because of his resurrection, because of his ascension. He, The gift that was given as a result of the ascension is the spirit was poured out upon the church to do what? To continue the work of Christ, Acts chapters 1. And I believe what this verse is saying is that the Spirit now is working in the church. The Spirit of Christ is going out and proclaiming, because that's what Noah did. And really what it's going on to say is that Noah suffered by being a preacher of righteousness. Do you think you're not going to suffer being a preacher of righteousness, obeying the will of God, following the Spirit of Christ that is within you? And then what's going to happen? People are going to come to a saving knowledge of himself. Baptism is going to occur. And really what we have is that um, it goes on to say, who has gone into Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That the whole point is Jesus Christ obeyed, and through his obedience, 
He's now at the right hand of God, and from the right hand of God, he gives his spirit through which the work of the church is done, which the work of the church is the proclamation of the Mm -hmm. gospel, which people come to salvation. Mm -hmm. So did you agree with Phil's position or not? I'm try, I was trying. I was really trying to follow you. I, yes, I was, I was, yes, I agree with Phil. It's uh, not about um, Jesus Christ going into hell. I, I think it, it's a difficult passage, but I think that when you compare Scripture to Scripture, what's being said here is just simply that the Spirit of Christ continues His work, um, and the Spirit of Christ continues His work in the church, and the church does the work of the proclamation too. Because um, what it says is. Blah, 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 went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Well, what spirits are in prison? Th- those who are not saved. Those that are not saved. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So we can make it be about the spirits in, in hell, right? but is that a natural reading of the text? I don't think so. It doesn't feel like I, it. I, I feel like in verse right. 20 when it uses the word when, I think that's a, a huge key word there. Uh, when did Jesus uh, go and proclaim to the spirits in prison? When... God's patience waited in the days of Noah. We know from Second Peter two that that Peter or that Noah was a herald of righteousness. Who was preaching through Peter or through Noah? The Spirit of Christ, Christ. as you were just saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, God has been preaching His gospel since the beginning. The Spirit Spirit didn't become the Spirit of Christ in the New Testament. The right. Spirit has always been the Spirit of right. Christ. Right. And this is and and that's about as the way the way you just expressed it, Russ, is about the most satisfying interpretation of that that text that I've heard. But this is also perhaps an opportunity to bring up um and obviously the uh, obviously the the listener who brought that question uh was troubled by that text and having trouble understanding it. Well I want you to I would want the listener to know I've been reading that text for many, many years and I'm uh, I, I'm <clears throat> it confuses me too. Not all of the Bible. Let's just we, we every um Every faithful interpreter of the Bible down through history has acknowledged, and the greatest spiritual leaders in the history of the church have acknowledged, that not all of the Bible is equally plain. There are parts of it that are obscure. And there is plenty, let's back up a little bit, there is plenty that is plain to be the foundation of our faith there, there is more than enough that is absolutely plain and self-evident uh, that we can have confidence in our trust in Christ and in God's work and in God speaking through the Scripture. That said, there are points in the Bible that are really obscure, and we can work at them. We can uh, say we can put them in context and, and and try to discern what does this mean. But I would encur- I would encourage the, the listener don't get hung up there. Uh, put the focus on what is overwhelmingly plain and repeated and very plainly throughout Scripture: uh, the centrality of Christ, the centrality of His saving death on the cross, the necessity of, of faith in His saving death on the cross. Um, there are so many great truths in Scripture, the call to love one another as Christ has loved us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, there is so much in, in the Bible that is plain and self-evident. Um, yes, there, there are texts like this that we struggle with. Um, they're few and far between. Uh, when you get stuck there, bracket it and move on. And I, I, would, I think 
I would say that I think I'm right in my interpretation, but I could easily be wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some texts of scripture that I'm very confident um, about the position that I've taken. I would not say that about this text. Right. Um, someone come, could come along five minutes from now and, and walk me through a different interpretation, and I would yield because um, there are difficult texts. This is, I think, one of the most difficult texts. The amount of certainty in my answer is, is though I presented it with um, conviction, I could easily turn on that on that conviction in a moment because I don't think this is where right. um, God's spirit of illumination has shed the most clear light. Right, there are pa- passages that are harder than others. To right. me, this is one of those passages that clarity is is a little bit difficult. Um, that doesn't mean that I I doubt the authority of Scripture. I don't think the problem lies with Scripture. I think the, the, the problem lies with with me and others that approach this text. Um, right. And this is an opportunity for worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you come to these passages and you're like, I don't know, but you know, Lord, mm-hmm. and you are Lord of your word, and I trust that everything that I need to know you have made perfectly clear, and those things that I don't need to know, I can humbly submit and say, um, Lord, I put my hand over my mouth. You know all things. I, I don't, Lord. Right. That's a good posture to have towards Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best biblical interpretation has a broad base of biblical support. The best theology has a very broad base of biblical support, and that's where we should place our greatest hope and our greatest confidence uh, and our greatest conviction. But about those things, and it's a small number of things, those passages that are obscure, uh, work at them. Uh, but be modest, uh, as Russ was just modeling. I, I could be wrong. I think the bottom line principle is shout when the Bible shouts, whisper when the, the Bible whispers. I think First Peter 3 is when we whisper. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. 